0: Welcome to Studio Tulsa. I'm Rich Fisher. The Tulsa Symphony will present a program of operatic favorites tomorrow evening at the Performing Arts Center, which will feature scenes from the Barber of Seville, Regoletto, Paiacci, along with music from Carmen and Cavalleria Rusticana, along with single arias. Joining guest conductor Daniel Heggie will be Tulsa native and operatic favorite soprano Sarah Coburn, along with baritone Stephen Powell. We'll hear from both singers today. Since his professional debut in 1993, Stephen Powell has maintained a steady schedule of engagements and performances with America's top opera companies, from the Metropolitan Opera and the New York City Opera to San Francisco, Seattle, Lyric Opera, Chicago, and more. He's also sung works with nearly all of the country's major orchestras, but he's never sang in Tulsa until now. This season, he's sung Germont in La Traviata with Opera Hong Kong, a Rigoletto in Denver, another Rigoletto coming up with the Pacific Symphony, and he'll sing Mendelssohn's Elijah with the Bucks County Choral Society. He joins us today on Studio Tulsa. Stephen Powell, it's such a pleasure to speak with you. Thanks very much for joining us.
1: And My pleasure to be here.
0: In a program like this, you're singing pieces that range from uh, Rigoletto arias to Billy Bigelow's Soliloquy and Richard Rodgers' Carousel. And these are vocal pieces I'm, I'm sure you know quite well, but are there challenges, though, in shifting gears, so so to speak, so quickly in a program like this?
1: Yes, actually, there are. Uh, the, you mentioned the Rigoletto, which is uh, one of the bigger roles that I sing. Um, so the Cortigiani aria is a typical Verdi baritone aria, obviously one of the most famous. And it uh, requires a lot of energy, a lot of you know, body uh, core engagement to be able to sing through that with the type of characterization that's necessary. So when I say big, that's kind of what I mean is that it's not that you don't give your all regardless of what you sing, but uh, in those types of arias and those roles, which I often do half of that aria on my knees because I'm (laughs) begging for the cortigiani to, you know, give back my daughter. So there's a lot of, um, demands on the singer in that particular aria. And then we go right into the duet with uh, Gilda when Sarah comes on, and that's also a really big one. So going from that to Billy Bigelow, I mean, it has its challenges, but it's more of a stylistic thing. You know, Billy Bigelow in Carousel is not necessarily a difficult thing to sing technically, uh, but it requires a lot of character, a lot of understanding of delivery of text. And it is a classical, if you will, Broadway piece so it needs to be sung fully uh, but also acted with the voice in a way that's uh, appropriate for the style. So that requires a little bit of a shift in my mind and not necessarily a vocal or technical shift but just uh, an understanding of what's required. Um, And then we have the duet in Barber by Rossini which is a completely different fock really for me. That's a lyric baritone and I used to sing Uh, the role of Figaro and Rossini's um, Barber Seville. Uh, But I haven't done it in a long time. So switching back to that rep um, with the coloratura and the lighter um, (laughs) elements of that type of music is also a challenge, not only physically and and vocally, but also stylistically. So I'm actually looking forward to the challenge of doing those different styles all in one concert.
0: Can you give us a sense of the differences between singing a lyric baritone role and then your more... I guess, uh, weighty uh, Verdi uh, baritone role or something from the later Romantic period?
1: Yes, yeah, so, for instance, the Figaro in uh, Il Barbieri di um it's um, a bel canto role, which in a lyric baritone rep means a little bit lighter voice, a little bit more movement that's required. There are a lot of 16th note passages that require flexibility and a lot of technical prowess really to really sing correctly and so you can't sing it in the heavy type of style or the weight that you would give to a Verdi role for instance and the Verdi role requires a voice to simply be able to sing that you can't really push your voice into that rep you either come to it or you don't so um, I was fortunate that my voice matured and progressed towards the Verdi repertoire so I could I can do Rigoletto and um you know, uh, Falstaff and Otello and and things of that nature. So the difference is really the the vocal type, which you just are or you aren't in a way, uh, and the stylistic knowledge and the ability, technical ability, to use your voice properly for each style.
0: Uh, Rigoletto is one of your signature roles. I know you're going to be doing some Rigolettos uh, in the coming months. He's an interesting character, and I was wondering how he speaks to you. And you've done this role many times. In contemporary times, Rigoletto can be pretty hard to understand. What is the continued attraction of the character, as well as the singing role, uh, for you?
1: Well, I'm a father, so I I have two sons. (laughs) I don't have a daughter, but I can certainly relate to trying to keep your children safe uh, in all situations. And then the grief and terror he feels when he was unable to do that. And he's also, uh, you know, the, the kind of person he is, uh, this is all the only kind of job he can get. I mean, he is ostracized in society. So being a jester, you know, of a, a fellow with a humpback, you know, he's really has no choice but to do what he's doing uh, to survive. So he's in a terrible predicament and uh, trying to not only survive for himself, but take care of his daughter and keep her safe in a world where women are certainly not treated properly or valued. So. Um, Bringing it into the 21st century, honestly, and I'm sorry to say this, but there are situations where not exactly a jester with a duke, but a power struggle amongst peoples um, that exists in our world in unscrupulous and illegal ways that people are taken and used, and it's difficult to keep them safe. Uh, So, I don't think it's really uh, a story for the other ages. It's mm-hmm. it's for the ages. And unfortunately, it still speaks to how human beings are treating one another uh, even today. So the characters may be different. The situation slightly different. But it still exists. So I can garner those forces in my knowledge as a father to bring to the role. But I also have to compartmentalize because I, if I think about it too much, I, I can't really <laughs> do the singing part. You know, I have to portray the, the anguish in my voice, but keep my body steady and, and in control to support what it takes to do that.
0: I guess that's the the challenge in, in singing opera. And the dramatic part can't take so much precedence that you forget about producing the sound that you have to do.
1: Right, exactly. Um, and, you know, that, that makes it a very difficult thing for opera singers um, to be able to be free with their bodies enough to characterize the character and act uh, as actors are free to do when they're doing straight drama, but maintain the physical structure of your voice uh, inside your body um, to be able to produce the sounds that are required. The other thing is we're not miked, so we can't turn up stage or turn off stage. We have to always be facing out to be heard and to be and to carry over the orchestra. So there are some physical restrictions on what we can and can't do in a sense uh, where is if you're wearing a head mic in a Broadway show or no mic at all when you're doing a, a straight theater piece, we have to uh, maintain that structure physically, while at the same time trying to, uh, you know, give a freedom in our body that, that makes it believable that we're the characters that we're playing. So it's challenging. So that's what I love about this uh, profession is that it's the highest kind of challenge, for me anyway, to be able to do all the things I just mentioned.
0: You've had a really wonderful career, 30 years, and it's still going strong. What I'm interested in is you've sung virtually everywhere in the United States, but I don't think you've ever sung in Tulsa before.
1: (laughs) No, I've never sung in Tulsa. You know, some, some cities, for whatever reason, they don't get on the calendar for, you know, conflicts or seasons go by where they don't program something for a baritone, and then something does come up and you say, sorry, I have a conflict, I can't do it, and then another three years go by. <laughs> so, you know, that, that's the kind of thing I think that's happened here with Tulsa. So I'm, I'm really delighted and happy to be coming there for the first time.
0: One thing I noticed about your work is you tend to sing your roles in bunches. If you sing a rigoletto, you sing a couple of rigolettos pretty close to Germans uh, sort of a number in a row, or at least it, that's how it shows on your... Uh, CV, that uh, you tend to like to do that. Is that something you like to do, to sing, sort of get in the the habit of singing this role and sort of inhabiting it for a while?
1: I mean, when the opportunities uh, present themselves, absolutely. This past fall, I think maybe you you might be mentioning that I did uh, the Germain in uh, Hong Kong, and then in Denver, I did Rigoletto immediately following. And now I'm doing a Rigoletto this April in California. So you know the the seasons and the operas they kind of rotate and sometimes it happens that in a calendar year all of a sudden everybody's doing uh, La Traviata and Rigoletto. <laughs> so um, and they're they're the war horses. You know people come to see them. So that's sometimes the reason that happens. Uh, but I do try to schedule those as often as I can because those those are roles that I love doing. I know well they're in my voice and in my body and uh, I haven't grown tired of them yet.
0: After uh, a professional career of over 30 years, are are there new roles you're hoping to to have a chance to sing at this point?
1: Um, yeah, there are a couple of variety roles I'd like to do um, a little bit more of. I've, I've only done uh, Falstaff once. I used to do Ford in Falstaff, um, mm-hmm. but I really would love to do more of the title role. Um, I've done Iago a few times, but I'd love to do more of those in Otello. And um, the Macbeth by Verity, I've only done once. I'd love to do more. And then there's oh, and there's also uh, Il Trovatore, the uh, Count di Luna, I would like mm. to do more of. But then there's um, roles like um, Nabucco, is another opera by Verdi I haven't done. Simon Bocanegra is another one. So there are a couple Verities that I've yet to had a ch- have a chance to do, and then there's those that I'd like to do more. I wouldn't mind giving a, a, a shot to uh, Flying Dutchman. That, um, you know, that's... Probably as much Wagner as I would do, but um, I'm not getting any younger, so I uh, might as well <laughs> looking, just putting it out there to the universe and maybe uh, get a chance to do that someday.
0: Well, I was looking at what you did during the pandemic and what I thought was really interesting is so you you basically recorded your own album uh, during the pandemic, uh, Why Do the Nations, a collection of 27 mm-hmm. songs from 11 nations, and I think you played piano for it too, is that correct?
1: Yes, that's correct. Yeah. yeah. I started out as a pianist.
0: So I so tell me see. how this project came about. Was it a matter of, hey, I can't do roles at this point, so might as well find a creative outlet and and you recorded an album. And now you've just uh, done some recording sessions for a new album.
1: Yes, that's right. W- well, I so my first album was uh, called American Composers at Play. Um, I did with four American composers playing their pieces mm. on the piano while I Uh, Sang with them: uh, Ricky Ian Gordon, Laurie Leitman, John Musto, and William Bolcom. And that barely finished recording before the pandemic began. Uh, February of 2020, we finished recording, and then, you you know, of course, March of 2020, the pandemic hit. So we barely finished getting that done by September of 20 uh, to release it. It was a difficult task because, as you know, everyone. We were in upheaval, right, the world, and no one knew what was happening and what to do. So I felt fortunate to be able to get that done, and that actually got nominated for a Grammy. And then after that, during the pandemic, as it continued, yes, I thought, I've always wondered if I could do uh, an album of pieces where I was playing and singing at the same time. Um, It's not been done very often, uh, and I'm not sure that an album like mine was ever Put together but there are some singers who are also very good pianists and and i thought well you know here we are like you say all the theaters were shut down no one was playing no symphonies or opera companies and i thought well there's no time like this um you know i tried to use something horrific and make something good out of it and so i i went into the studio and and decided to make this album Why to the nations and the real impetus behind it is um that We need to start working together as human beings uh, to save ourselves in this world. Um, And that if I could present pieces in 11 different languages or in 10 different or maybe it's 10 languages in 11 countries. I can't remember now. (laughs) Um, But to present music that's that says the same thing, talks about the same struggles, the same desires, the same needs, the same wants from every culture, from every people, from every generation. Um, we're all the same. So I decided to try to put that, to tell that story um, and use my skills as a pianist uh, to help me along. And as a COVID project, of course, I had no one else in the studio to worry about. <laughs> right. um, it was just me, so I didn't have to worry about infecting or getting infected or anything like that. So it was safer. Um, so it was kind of the perfect time to do that. Um, and the latest recording I just did in Nashville in January is for an opera album of arias and oratorio pieces for baritone with orchestra that's going to be released at the end of June. Um, and that's also a, a kind of a bucket list thing I've always wanted to do. So we managed to be able to get get it in and do it again. Pandemic now sort of slowly ending and it was a little safer to get all those people in the same room um, so we managed it nobody got sick and now we're in the editing and mixing and mastering process uh, so so yeah I, I've tried to use my time in a creative way exactly right
0: well we wish you great success with those projects and we look forward to hearing you a uh, Saturday evening with the Tulsa Symphony and Sarah Coburn Stephen Powell thanks very much for joining us
1: thank you for having me
0: Baritone Stephen Powell speaking with us here on Studio Tulsa. He'll be singing with the Tulsa Symphony this Saturday evening, along with my other guest today, a singer that's well-known and loved in our community, soprano Sarah Coburn. Coburn really needs no introduction, but she's been a regular guest with the Tulsa Symphony since its creation and has originated roles at the Metropolitan Opera, sang at Seattle, Los Angeles Opera, Vienna State Opera, and companies around the world. But today she picks and chooses her engagements as she's embarked on a second career as a counselor. But she will still debut a role now and then. And next year, she will be Violetta for Tulsa Opera in their production of Verdi's La Traviata. And of course, she'll be singing with the Tulsa Symphony tomorrow evening. Sarah Coben, it's wonderful to have you back on Studio Tulsa. Thanks very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Tell me a little about doing these sorts of I call this performance sort of like a gala performance where you're singing lots of different material, everything from the color tour of Rosina in uh, Barbara Seville to the, you know, the opera *Verismo* with Puccini and Leoncavallo, Cavallo to modern uh, works like Carlisle Floyd. How different are those pieces vocally over the course of an evening?
2: Well, I think they're programmed in the order that they are in for good reasons, I think the more demanding come later in the evening. So I think that that's, that's intentional for sure. And the it more familiar are also on the first half, the Barber of Seville and Carmen and Rigoletto, pretty standard, um, well-known operatic repertoire. The second half, yeah, it, it does demand a little bit different kind of singing, but it really, it's kind of meaty singing, really pleasurable. But I imagine trying to sing something like um, Rosina after the Leon Cavallo would be a little more difficult.
0: I was sort of chuckling to myself when you said, "Oh, we start off with the lighter stuff," and I and I think, "Una voce poco fa" is is like that doesn't stri- strike me as light because I think of the tessitura, the highness of the part, uh, and you know the just the technical abilities involved with with Rossini. Uh, right, but I guess right. that's. I
2: get sorry. Go ahead. No, I
0: was going to say, is that your wheelhouse in, in 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 a way?
2: Of course, it is, and it's a role I've done many many times. Um, when I said light, I, it's more about the texture and the the thickness of this, the orchestra that I'll be having to compete with and sing against. So in that bel canto repertoire, you have a lot less weight coming at you from the orchestra so that you don't have that competition or the need to really dig in and uh, sing as fully. So in terms of what it requires with vocal heft, it's lighter on the first half. Yes, of course, Rossini takes a lot of technical prowess and agility to be honest, if you're singing correctly, any of that repertoire, you should be able to start over at the end of the night and do it all again.
0: <laughs> well, you That's know,
2: really what I believe about it.
0: Well, I'm sure you know all these arias very, very well. Have you sung all of these roles associated with these arias?
2: No. So the first half is my old standby standard repertoire that I've done a lot. And um, the second half, no. And it's stuff that I'm you know more interested in now. Mm-hmm. I'm 45. Life experience and life itself can contribute to a little bit different timbre in the voice and weight and ability to sing into the voice a little bit more. So it's really fun to explore this repertoire and just to see what it might feel like. But I love it. I mean, I've I've never sung any of these particular roles that are on the second half. I'd like to.
0: That's very hard for me to believe that you've never sang a Mimi uh, by uh, La Boheme, because that's sort of, we think of Sopranos as just, that's sort of like you know, about the time your your voice is becoming mature, you sing a Mimi, but that didn't happen for you.
2: No, no, no. But not really with my repertoire. They, there's a big kind of a fence you put around your your rep that keeps you safe. If you're singing things like Donizetti and Bellini, you really have to be careful not to dig in and, and go full lyric too quickly. And you've, I mean, there are voices that you hear who do go that direction too soon. And you can't really go back. Mm. If you've Jumped into that heavier repertoire too early in your career.
0: Well, where are you on your own arc? It sounds like. Th- I mean, it sounds like <laughs> we'll this-
2: see. We'll see if I get a wobble after Saturday night. I hope not.
0: <laughs> well, is this? It sounds like these are roles you're you feel like your voice is ready to tackle. Maybe.
2: Yes, absolutely. Part of it is because I am physically ready for it, and I think my my voice has the weight for it. But I also don't care. Is that a terrible thing to say? <laughs> I'm ready to try it because I'm, you know, I'm in my mid forties. I don't need to worry about singing Lucia over and over again, maybe Juliet, but maybe not. I, you know, how long can you play 16 years old? (laughs) So I don't know. I have other things going on in my life. So it doesn't, I don't have that fear that I might've had if I were still working all year long and traveling and worrying about whether or not this might be a, a risky choice. I am still smart with my voice. But I I think that you know when you know when something's correct and it's the right time for it. Like Traviata, for example, that we'll do here next season at the opera. I'm so glad that I waited until the age I am now to tackle it. Even from an emotional standpoint, just having life experience under your belt can really inform how you inhabit a character. That's not too cliche to say.
0: You know, uh. One of the challenges of doing a night like this is trying to inhabit a character for just a short amount of time, the time of an aria. How do you balance Mm -hmm. that? How do you balance that?
2: Well, with the practice of of doing this year after year, it's really actually an exercise and fun just to pretend to be someone else for a moment. And if you've done the role many times, you can put yourself right back into how you feel when you're in the moment of the actual role. So for the roles that I haven't done, it's a little bit more of a challenge to put myself in a, in a place, in a mind space that says this is where I am in the middle of the, the course of an evening singing in a role when I haven't done it yet. But on the first half, for example, the Rosina we have, you know, Una voce poco fa, followed by Dunque Yo Son, which is what follows it immediately in the opera. So we have a pretty big chunk there, like 15 minutes of The Barber of Seville where we inhabit those characters. So when it's a larger um, section like that, it's more like we're doing a, a scene. Um, same with the Rigoletto. We'll be doing the Cortigiani and then the Si Vendetta. It's a large scene. So it's right. an extraction from the opera that's long enough to feel like you can really inhabit it. But I think um, we're trained at an early age to inhabit a character for a three-minute aria. That's just part of our training.
0: Right. You mentioned you're singing uh, Lucia, and, and that's something you're singing a lot of. Do you see that winding down at this point or 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 as you move into new repertoire? or are these still, well, they're, they're obviously great, meaty roles to sing.
2: Yeah, I still love Lucia. I sang one in September with New York City Opera, which was really fun. Basically, if I'm honest, it's just, you know, I don't sing that much anymore on the road because I'm I'm busy with three kids and um, I have a new job as a marriage and family therapist, which is, <laughs> you know, completely crazy out in left field switcheroo mid-career. But... To me, whoever offers me a role, then I consider it. It's not that I'm sitting around thinking, oh, what do I want to sing next? I'm just not singing that much anymore. So any Mm -hmm. opportunity I get to do a concert like this, it feels like heaven. (laughs) And I have, you know, a few things scheduled throughout the year, you know, like two or three big engagements, which really kind of satisfies me at this point. Life is super busy. So I don't know if that's a very exciting answer. Certainly not the life of a diva.
0: It sounds very well balanced to me.
2: (laughs) <laughs> I don't know. You might have to ask my husband if he thinks it's well-balanced.
0: Well, I mean, there was a, probably a time in the year when you were doing six, seven productions a year or, you know,
2: right.
0: and then basically right. home for a couple of weeks and then flying out for another month and, and you know, coming home to right. sweep the cobwebs out of the house and then back out mm-hmm. on the road. Uh, obviously, right. th- that has no That's appeal. That That has no appeal these days, I suppose.
2: It never really did. And I was on the road a lot with our firstborn. Um, We were on the road 10 out of 12 months. And I was on the road with a nanny and I saw her more than I saw my husband. So that kind of life never has really appealed to me. We made it work and we would set up home wherever we were. But I love to be home. I love to cook and decorate and dig in the flower beds. And to me, that's just, you know, something's got to give. You can't have it all at once and keep your sanity.
0: It sounds like you have uh, sort of embarked on a second career.
2: Yes, uh, you, you know, I did.
0: Yeah, I know. And I guess you're still able to sing, but, you know, there's always this feeling if you're not out in the eye of the people who are hiring singers, they they won't think of you. Uh, I guess yeah. you're not really worried about that at this point.
2: That's a risk. Yeah. And I mean, I, I pulled back a few years ago anyway, after deciding to have a third baby, because I just made the decision and, and it's not something that you can really sustain on the road unless you're a superwoman or just crazy. Um, well, I, I traveled a lot with two kiddos, but once they get school age and they have lives of their own, I'm not about to ask them to have lives that revolve around mine. So I had to make a decision and let go of some of that fear that I'm off the radar and that's OK. I don't mind it. And I love singing in Tulsa. Um, having a couple things on the calendar every year gets me energized about keeping my voice in shape and, you know, having something to do in the business, kind of something that's fancy coming up, Mm -hmm. something to dress up for. It's (laughs) great, especially as a mom to know, like, okay, I have a a job. (laughs) I have one coming up where I can live in a hotel room and have some quiet for a couple of days and get to be fancy for a night and then come back home to real life.
0: You were talking about the program and the, the fact that in the first half, these are roles you've sung quite a bit. In the second half, these are roles that you haven't sung. Uh, Mm -hmm. Usually the Tulsa Symphony sort of pick the material and say, here's what we'd like to do. I assume with a singer, you have a lot more say in what you're going to be singing. Was there something on the program that you said, you know, I really want to do this?
2: All of it. Keith gave me freedom from the beginning. Yeah, we got to plan it. And he let me make decisions from the beginning about it. And it was really a total blast to get to put this together. And Stephen Powell is a spectacular colleague and a wonderful singer so it's luxury to me to be able to do these scenes and a duet recital like this is not it's low pressure it's not the whole night does not revolve around your high notes and whether or not you hit them beautifully so i think it's fabulous um the repertoire is great it's uh, recognizable tunes and some newer ones that people might not know but most of it's pretty famous stuff and none of it's really out there or obscure or atonal, so it's going to be a night of really beautiful music.
0: I was thinking of the Carlisle Floyd, for example, Susanna. You know, that's a popular opera when it's done, but it's just not done that often.
2: Right. It's fabulous. Yeah, it's beautiful music. Really heart-wrenching.
0: Well, uh, we're looking forward to the the appearance uh, uh, this Saturday night, and I know that uh, you encouraged the symphony to reach out to Stephen Powell. Is there something about your chemistry when you're singing together that's really outstanding?
2: Um, he is just a fabulous singer. And yes, he's a great colleague and a good friend. He and I have done um, Rigoletto. We did Rigoletto together at Cincinnati Opera, and we've sung a puritani together in Washington. Um, and now I can't remember if anything else, but I just admire his singing and his stage presence. And I think he's wonderful, like a strong partner for a concert like this. So I just, I thought, let's, let's ask him. And he was available, thankfully. And so we're going to, have a lot of fun.
0: Well, we're looking forward to the the concert. Uh, some wonderful music from Rossini, Verdi to Leon Cavallo, Puccini, and a little bit of light bubbly lahar at the end of the evening. So it sounds like a, a really wonderful program. And we're looking forward again to hearing you sing. Sarah Coburn, thanks very much for joining us.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Soprano Sarah Coburn speaking with us here on Studio Tulsa. She'll be joined by baritone Stephen Powell as guest with the Tulsa Symphony Orchestra tomorrow evening at 7.30 at the Chapman Music Hall of the Tulsa Performing Arts Center along with guest conductor Daniel Heggie as they perform an evening of operatic favorites. You can learn more at TulsaSymphony.org. We're going to leave you with music from the beautiful opera Cavalleria Rusticana, the intermezzo, which will be performed tomorrow night. Studio Tulsa is produced and edited by Scott Gregory. I'm Rich Fisher. Thanks for listening.